Chapter 9 23 Dalraedan men sat with anticipation in Renton's meeting hall, sealed behind the closed shutters of the old stone structure. Mounted candles hung from the walls, and two square lanterns, sat at either end of the large oval table centered in the room. Only the stray strands of silver sunlight, cutting through the western-facing shutters, added to the dim illumination of the musty hall. The men had come from Dumbarton, Melton, Cashel, and other small villages across Dalriada. They were husbands and fathers, shepherds and farmers. Among them were Lathan, Gura, Constantine, and Luak. The younger men filled the benches lining the walls of the hall. Taran claimed a seat at the center table before his father dismissed him to a bench along the wall, opposite the wall where Chorich, Kenneth, and Ronan sat. Sirk came late, and sat next to Aidan. The older men, leaders of a dozen Dalraedan clans, occupied the seats encircling the hall's large wooden table. Alpin stood and spoke first. Men of Dalriada, your presence here in Renton is appreciated. As you know, an enemy has arrived in the north and has attacked and destroyed several villages. These evil men are Vikings. Sailing their ships along the north shores of Britannia, they have crossed the sea and have brought both weapons and destruction with them. It has been reported that they are encamped at the Isle of Skye. They have pushed inland to the northern regions of Dalriada, burning our villages and slaughtering our people as they move. Alpin, are the Picts behind the attacks? Lathan asked. They have long sought to overtake our villages in the north and claim the land as their own. No, this is not their doing, Alpin responded. As some of you know, Angus, leader of the Picts, came to Renton with two dozen men. He came to ask for our swords, as he claimed. What he wanted was not simply our swords, but our servitude. Alpin paced the floor, then stopped and stared at the men at the table. I was not inclined to submit our people to him, that we should be his subjects. The men shifted in their seats and murmured back and forth. Angus is not the reason we are here, Alpin stated. His request assures us that he is not behind the attacks. He was clearly troubled at the reports of the Vikings, Angus is not our concern. Our concern is the Vikings. We must stop them from taking and murdering our people. This enemy is here for conquest, and the Picts are only another pawn in their path. From what we've heard, the Vikings have many men, some say a thousand, a man from a western village said. They are skilled fighters. Defeating them will not come without much bloodshed. Alpin, I agree. Our force must be sizable to defeat them, Gura added. Men of Dalriada, Chorich said, standing up from his seat along the wall. How many capable men are each of you able to gather, men who are strong with the sword and bow? Chorich, it will require many more than the men of our villages. If the Vikings have a thousand men, then we will need all of Dalriada to defeat them, Constantine replied. Gathering all of Dalriada, is a considerable task. Every man will have to realize that his own land, his own family, even his own life, is at stake. Otherwise, I fear many will remain home, believing they are protecting their farms and flocks, the man from the west said. And those far off won't simply appear with a sword in hand. They'll need to be called and rallied by a leader, dare I say, by a king, Gura proposed, gazing about the room. The hall quieted. Those at the table shared glances and stares as memories of days long gone returned and brought no pleasing comfort. We have let our kings pass, Gura, Alpin replied, breaking the silence. Recall from our forefathers, some sixty years ago, 
when the Vikings first raided our lands. Even then, the Vikings were savage men. This is not the first time our people have faced these animals. Our people pushed them from Dalriada, and yes, for a season, the wars left our people broken. The death of our king left factions, our own people fought one another, claiming their rights on Dalriada, and the Stone of Destiny was lost in the midst of that civil war. Alpin paused, catching glimpses of the men as they stirred at the recounting of the legendary stone. He lingered and then proceeded, a piece of our heritage was lost, not to be recovered. Our people, our lands, they were shattered. And for what? Power. Wealth. Strong leaders become even stronger kings. Our land has seen what this can do to a people, men with strong wills and selfish ambitions, forcing their way upon others. We've seen it. We know it. Such authority inevitably ends in tyranny. Every eye, every ear, lay fixed upon Alpin. He entranced the hall as he paced and opined. I do not wish to be subject to a Viking, nor a Pict, nor a Scot, Alpin insisted. Nor will I subject others to a misery that I myself would not endure. I will fight to keep Dalriada free of such oppression. Most of the hall nodded in approval, but a furtive few sat stoic. Constantine lifted from his seat. He walked behind the table of men. Then he stopped. He glanced at Alpin before turning his gaze to the others. Men of Dalriada, I understand my cousin's concerns. His passion for freedom is great, this same passion burns in my gut, as it burns in his, and yours. But make no mistake, we are at war. We must assemble a large army, a strong army, one that can match the strength of the Vikings. We must unite our towns and villages. To do this, we will need a leader, a man of courage, a man who knows the hellish woes of battle, yet is unafraid to face them head-on. We cannot win this battle divided. To stop the Vikings, we must be of one mind, of one heart. Constantine paused a moment. Well, is there a man among us who disagrees? The men encircling the table whispered back and forth, exchanging words and glances, yet none offered a voice of opposition. Taran rose from the bench where he'd sat silently, biding his time. He moved toward the older men sitting at the table. Glancing first at Alpin and then at Constantine, he found no resistance. Inferring approval, he eased toward an opening among the men and pushed his red hair behind his ears. Then he placed his hands on the oaken oval and leaned his frame forward. His bright mane glowed like flames as he lowered into the light of the lantern. He spoke in a clear, steady voice, good men of Dalriada. I agree with Constantine. We need a strong man, a noble man, one who is able to lead our people to fight and defend our land. We need a leader. Taran's eyes darted from man to man, eager to find their attention. But we don't simply need a leader. We need a man who will inspire our hearts. We need a man who will unite us as one. Taran pushed away from the table and stood erect, we need a king. The fiery redhead's arm shot upward and his hand tightened to a fist. Then, pumping his fist in the air, he exclaimed, we need a king who will gather our warriors and lead them into the throes of battle and carry Dalriada to victory. A smile decorated Taran's lips as he watched the men nodding, some with earnest, chewing his words and swallowing them. He pushed back from the table and began to circle the room. Good men of Dalriada, I do not take this lightly. I see the gravity of what is before us. We must find a man willing to lead, dare I say, wanting to lead, a man whose heart will not stop until Dalriada sees her salvation. 
He paused for a split second and then asked, Do you see this? I, approvals echoed from several in the room. For the moment, Alpin bit his lip and allowed Taran to proceed. Then, with your blessings I propose that there is no man better suited for this than my father, Gura of Dumbarton. He is the man to lead us. The hall erupted. Taran's words had fallen like a lead mallet upon the ears of those from the north. The large wooden table vibrated with pounding fists as the northern clans demanded to be heard. Opposite the fist-pounders, two Dumbarton men rose behind Gura, applauding in approval. The man to Gura's left nudged his shoulder and encouraged him to stand. Gura's eyes found Alpin, and the Dumbarton leader chose to remain seated. Men, men, rest your tongues, rest, rest. Luag bellowed, his guttural voice reverberating in the still air of the warm room. Gradually, the men settled and found their seats. Luag sat forward in his chair to address the room. Men, it is unity that will bind the hearts of our people. On this matter, we agree. Discord will only steal away the very trust we long to keep. Gura is a capable man, Luag glanced at Gura, yet he himself would admit that decisions of the past can linger, even though time has moved on. Gura offered Luag a half-hearted nod, conceding the point. This proposal, from those of Dumbarton, has not united the hearts of this small assembly. How will it win the hearts of all Dalriada? Luag paused and a sober silence entered the room. Luag slowly rose and stepped to the front of the table. Allow me to be clear. There is no perfect man among us. There is not one who sits here today who would make a perfect king. Yet, I contend we do have a leader who has shown himself worthy. Luag turned to his right and stared at Alpin, the only man he dared to follow. Returning to the others, he measured his words and spoke, Alpin of Renton, son of Eochade, is a man who has proven his courage and his sword on a dozen battlefields. He has fought for freedom and peace in our land. We are a free people today because of men like him and his father before him. Alpin lost his father in battle, and he witnessed the sword that stole away the life of his son, Drosten, a man, a young man, who gave his very blood for our land. Luag faced Alpin and the two locked eyes, standing ten feet apart. My brother, you have given much for your people. I know that. I am asking you, reconsider your stance. We are in need, and the hour is before us. I am asking you, will you lead us? No clamoring erupted. No disruption broke out. The men at the table sat quiet, awaiting Alpin's response. Alpin's sons watched with the same eagerness from their benches along the wall, excited for their father to speak. Chorich and Kenneth had remained transfixed since their father had begun the meeting. Aidan, too, had sat with anticipation on his bench near the door. The three were anxious to hear their father address Luag's proposition, though it would be wrong to say their minds were of one accord. Chorich and Aidan waited in hopes that their father would draw his sword, loft his blade into the air, and declare that he would receive the crown of Dalriada that he would show he was the one warrior who could unite the Scots against the Vikings. Kenneth, sitting beside Chorich, waited for something much different. He held to the earlier words of his father that still whispered in his ears, the words that esteemed the great goodness of freedom. He believed his father, that freedom from tyranny included freedom from kings and crowns and men. To Kenneth, freedom was too high a price to purchase a king. The young and old men alike sat in expectation. Moments passed as they waited for Alpin to speak. 
Alpin stared long at Luwak. Then he turned to the others, meeting the eyes of each man, gauging them, weighing them. He drew a deep breath, then spoke calmly, deliberately, how often do we know the outcome of the things we wish for? We would fail to act at all if we were to know the future and what it holds. We believe we need so much, yet we don't fully grasp the very things we seek, often ending up with something much different than what we first desired. The words fell from his lips like pieces of a puzzle. Alpin continued, I have heard your offering. Your sentiment is far too generous. I have spoken of my fears of the vaunted notions of leaders and kings, and where such lofty ideas can carry a people. I ask, do not people, in vying to be free, unwittingly seal their fate by placing their most precious gift into the hands of fallen men, hands hoped to be trusted and presumed to be good. It is a dangerous step that a people would take, when they seek to secure the very thing they are giving away. Conflicted, Alpin continued to address the men of Dalriada. My fellow Scots, I have heard neither jeering nor rebuffs from Luag's request. As such, I will presume that this request of his is something you wish for me to seriously consider. The men remained fixed in their silence. I likewise know that our people must unite and fight the Vikings in the north. As in times past, we are facing a day where we must secure our land so that our people may know freedom and peace again. Alpin hesitated. He gazed at Gura and then at Constantine. Tension hung in the angst-filled hall. Alpin's chin dipped slightly. Men of Dalriada, I recognize the threat before us. I, too, recognize the great need of our people to come together as one. I shall take this solemn charge to lead our noble people, and I vow to you this day, with all earnestness, that together we shall rally the hearts of Dalriada, and thrust our sword deep into the soul of the Viking beast. I grant that I will lead the Dalriadans in battle, but I will wear no crown upon my head, nor respond to the calling of king from your lips. It shall be together that we put an end to this Viking invasion, and when we see the matter to its rightful end, with God as my witness, I will be released of this charge, freeing the men of Dalriada, and freeing my own conscience, from the plague of tyranny. The room erupted in cheers, and the men rose from their seats, nodding and applauding. Constantine, Luag, and Lathan stood among them, clapping with approval. Chorich lifted to his feet, and joined the men. He glanced at Aidan, standing in the back of the hall, and nodded. Aidan's chin dipped in return as he clapped. Alpin's ascent was what many in the hall had come to hear. The Dalriadans had their leader. They had their swords and their bows. They had a united spirit. And they were prepared to fight. No one noticed when the door of the large hall opened. Taran was the first to leave. And Cirque was next. Chorich and Ronan moved through the room and joined Luag. The three grinned and embraced one another. The remainder of the men in Renton's hall took turns congratulating Alpin. Kenneth sat, clasping his hands, alone on his wooden bench. One by one, the men approached his father and offered their praise. Kenneth watched as his father received their words and conversed with them cordially. As the last of the men stepped away, Alpin peered across the hall. His eyes fell upon Kenneth. Kenneth did not move from his father's gaze. He only nodded his head and offered a smile of congratulations.